1: All right, welcome to Conspira Normal, everybody. We are, I guess, now really officially back from our long sojourn, from the Strange Realities Conference and everything that that entailed, and... Um, Happy to be back. Um, we got uh, Professor Wham with us tonight. We're going to do kind of like, I guess, a little shorter interview than usual, but uh, this is going to be like kind of a follow up to when did we do that, Professor Wham? I think it was back in April. I think we did that. Yeah, show. It, was like, it, was, it
2: was back in April. I re listened to it.
1: Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I got pretty good. I got a really good response off of it, actually. Um, I, I actually had somebody. <laughs> comment on it uh, on the YouTube version just uh, just a few days ago, actually, about six months later. So Um, just kind of goes to show that people are really interested in these topics. And what we're going to talk about is kind of an update on the show that we did about uh, Robert Berdella and how you knew him and and all that. So let's talk about, uh, I guess, give a little kind of recap of what we talked about. So if people missed that. And we'll just go from there.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, Robert Burdella was a serial killer who worked, or who worked, who was active. I guess is the 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 actual word that is used. Who was active in Kansas City in the in the mid 1980s for probably about four or five years. I think when he was active, um, and what the reason that I talked about him was because I had known him for. The better part of a decade, I had worked in his shop. And uh so basically I just talked about my memories about him, my thoughts about him, some of the investigations I'd done um into at the time, at the time into um you know his possible connections to other things. Uh to for example, um certain. Uh, drug or uh, sex syndicates that were connected to the Franklin conspiracy. And we talked or Franklin scandal. I know we talked about that, um, but it was mostly sort of me talking about my experiences and my memories, mm-hmm. uh, and because I hadn't, I hadn't ever publicly talked about this stuff before. And I I remember that I had approached you with it back in February, because Mm -hmm. for some reason, something, something inside told me, and this sounds so weird, but something inside told me to ask you if you guys would be interested in this. And the thing that is interesting about it is that as a result of the recording that we did, I was contacted by an individual who, um, who has to remain anonymous, but I do have their identity. And they are a relative, a younger relative of one of the victims. And because this happened in their family, they um, became sort of obsessed with trying to figure out what had happened. You know, because they had memories. They were very young when it happened. And so they had some memories of their of their relative who died, who was the vict- a victim. Uh, but it just obviously it affected the family profoundly. And so um, this person has dedicated a big chunk of their life to figuring out the ins and outs of it. And some of what um, they shared with me is some of the information that I'll give tonight because they have done a lot more sort of interior research than I have. I mean, they, they live in Kansas City, so they have access yeah. to things that I do not. And they've, they've, they've spent a great deal of time archiving um, material such as they've been able to find it. And they have they have connections with and have made friends with. Um, some of the detectives or one of the detectives in particular um, who was involved with the initial investigation. So there's some interesting stuff that came out of it. And this individual um, helped me track down some memories that i had had about, just some vague memories I'd had about, and from the early 80s, even before I knew Bob about this place that I'd mentioned where I knew that people that, that kids were being trafficked. And they, they actually helped me hunt that place down, um, wow. the, the place with the fountain and everything, and, and did confirm for me that this was a place where this stuff happened, because, during, given the, the research they were able to show me.
1: And I think you also tied that a little bit into the Franklin cover-up, too, which was about the same time that this was going on.
2: Right. It was about, yeah, it was about the same time that this was going on. And this individual had also uh, uh, made some of those connections as well. And in fact, is in contact with Nick Bryant's, Nick Bryant is still investigating this stuff sort of un- behind underneath and behind the scenes and stuff. And he has got several investigators that sort of do this on their own that, that feed him information as they find it. Mm-hmm. And one of them is in Omaha and it's a woman um, and uh, and uh, this this contact that I have actually knows her, knows this woman, and has had um, a number of exchanges with her about the possibility of of Bob's connection in various ways to to um, various elements of the Franklin scandal. okay. So in other words, some of those intuitive connections mm-hmm. that I had made, Um, this person has confirmed that there are things about that that are real. Um, And and that these these investigations are still ongoing, by the way, um, so that they haven't ended not even after 35 years or however long it's been. Mm -hmm.
3: There's there's really something about that when your gut feeling gets uh, validated by information you later find in other people.
2: Well, and what was interesting is that this person contacted me and they said that, you know we we exchanged a few things back and forth and this person was also trying to clarify a few things because and they reminded me they they had collected all of the newspaper clippings from the time um period and from the Kansas City papers and were showing them to me um you know we are having these email exchanges i think we exchanged like f- almost 50 emails back and forth and uh And this person was asking me particular questions about, to clarify certain things, to figure, Mm -hmm. she's trying to figure out who I was. Um, And, um, you know, did you know this person? Did you know this person? Did you know that this was going on? You know, that kind of thing. And so... um, You know, it was it was an interesting exchange. Uh, But but one of the things they said was that you know they were surprised that I had made correct intuitive leaps with a lot less information than they had. And I said, well, the truth is is that a lot of this stuff sort of operates the same way. You know, you've seen one syndicate, syndicate, you've seen them all. (laughs) You know what I mean? And in in a place like the Midwest. Um, you know, the, the, the bad apples in, in uh, Omaha are going to know who the bad apples in Kansas City are. And I just know that because of the drug trades in those two cities. Right. So, you know, it just.
3: Yeah. Once you develop those, those uh, street smarts, for lack of a better word, you know, a lot of times your spidey sense can really get attuned to mm-hmm. those type of things.
2: Yeah. So, you know, for me, it was, but it was interesting. Uh, I mean, some things have, that I talked about were validated and some things were changed. So I think that you'll be interested in knowing about this. The first thing that I wanted to say, though, is okay. that I remember one of the things that I said in the in the um, in the first interview was that one of the ways in which Bordella's um, victims were different is that they were they they tended to be older, and this is actually still true. Is that if you look at the, the majority of 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 men like Jeffrey Dahmer for example or uh, uh, John Wayne Gacy who are gay men who prey on other on uh, on other um, males they tend to prey on males that are much younger than they are or in much more vulnerable circumstances and so it is, it is interesting that Bob did prey on people that were fully adult my estimate of their age was a little old okay so um it turned out they were a little younger than I thought. It, what I said was that they were tending towards their 30s. There was only one victim that was close to his 30s. So I, what I wanted to do, though, is correct what I consider to be an negligent error on my part and not actually name the victims. Because that to me is really important because, of course, obviously, they are the important people yeah. in, in in these narratives. So, And these are the victims that we know of, uh, six victims that we know of um and uh bob when he was arrested he was under suspicion for the disappearance of some other people but it's never been demonstrated that he in fact um was associated with their deaths but anyway the first victim was jerry howell he was 19 the second victim was robert sheldon he was 20 The third victim was Mark Wallace, and he was the oldest at 27. Uh, The fourth victim was James Ferris, and he was 25. The, The fifth victim was Todd Stoop, and he was 23. And then the last victim, known victim, was Larry Wayne Pearson. He was 20. And this was an individual that Bob actually met at his shop. So it's the only person that I am aware of that he actually met at his shop and this individual became a victim
1: and all the rest maybe he would pick up somewhere or were they like how, um, they, they
2: would they would come to him in various ways yeah. um, and sometimes they um, sometimes they started out as um, kind of he would go down to the bus stop and he would hang out a lot of them were had were hustlers. You know, they hustled on the side, um, either to, to make money or because they had drug habits or something, you know what I mean? So he, he, he met a lot of them that way. Um, and then he would sort of do this thing where he would take them under his wing and he was going to, you know, get them jobs and, and, uh, and, and help them kind of redo their lives. Um, and what's interesting is that in, in several, each one of these cases is a little bit different. You know, um, the first two um, victims died largely because of the wounds that they suffered. In other words, you know, they, he didn't actually murder them directly, they died as a result of what he was doing to them, mm-hmm. and torturing them. The, the third victim is, I believe, if I remember correctly, he was the first one that was, was actively killed. And I believe he was killed because um, he was, uh, there was like a workman coming to the house to do some construction on the house and Bob didn't want him to be found. And so he killed him to get rid of him. Um, and uh, and as, as he accumulated more victims, the tortures became worse and he became more and more sort of obsessive about it. One of the things that I did not know And that so therefore I got wrong, essentially, um, is that apparently and this is according to um, the one of the things that this individual did um, and shared with me is uh, because of this individual's obsession with this, this individual has gone into criminal investigation. All right. And so uh, and so. At one point, one of the head detectives—I guess he was the head detective, Detective Hearn—I can say that because that's a matter of record. Um, he uh, and he's retired now. He um, came to this person's class to specifically give a talk about Berdella and and to be asked questions about it. <laughs> this person and and sur- surreptitiously taped this. <laughs> wasn't supposed to do this, but surreptitiously, surreptitiously uh, taped it and has archived it um, and uh, in, a, in a couple of different places, and, sh- and but online, has archived it online kind of in a secret, you know, how you can put stuff up on YouTube but not list it, you know, it could sort mm-hmm. of be private. And they shared the link with me. So I was actually able to listen to this secretly <laughs> recorded uh, talk that this detective gave about Berdella. Um, and one of the things that I did not know that that came to light in their investigation and it was never made public was that he in fact had a very, very um, terrible relationship with his mother. Um, I'm, it, it was never made clear in the lecture exactly what that relationship, what made it terrible. But apparently he felt, trapped by her in some way, trapped by her Catholicism in some Mm. way. And they found evidence in the house um, of a, of a kind of weird psychological ritual that he had done. And this was before apparently he had killed anyone um, where uh, and, and it's, you know, they described how he had outfitted part of his house with gates and, and, and it was, it was part of a ritual in order to free himself psychologically from the control that he believed his mother had over him. So he had, he had developed this kind of um, obsession with, uh, with uh, creating a kind of spiritual power for himself. You know, one of the things I, like I said, I got wrong was you asked me specifically if he if he was involved in any kind of spirituality or spiritual practice. I didn't know of any because of what he told me, but apparently he was. Um, it was sort of of his own creation. It was mm-hmm. kind of a hodgepodge of a number of different things. But the whole purpose behind it was, was to create enough power behind him so that he could get away with doing what he was doing, uh, which was... Uh, being a sexual sadist, essentially. Um, and so he, he did have an upper room that was, the, the house had like three stories and, and a basement, a full basement. And so he did have like this kind of secret upper room, which, which he referred to in his, uh, uh, um, according to the detective in his interviews with them, he referred to as his introspection room. And in this introspection room, he had all kinds of uh, power objects that he had collected in his antiquities trade. Um, When, when they, when they uncovered it and took the house apart, they took the house apart meticulously, like brick by brick, because they were trying to see if there were any victims like, uh, or other evidence like walled up in various places. And they actually did find some pieces of victims like, like, like in these secret cubby holes and stuff. Wow. Um, but uh, he, uh, but in this introspection room, uh, when they, when they opened it up and went in, he apparently did have like a copy of, I guess it was recording. It was like an LP of Anton LaVey's Black Mass.
3: I've, I've got a reissue of that.
2: <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <You know, laughs> you know. um, so, I mean, uh. so, so apparently he was into something. Um, and if you remember, I, I told the story about how I'd had this really bizarre experience when I did this initial meditation to try to figure out like what was going on with him. And I encountered this really dark force mm-hmm. uh, that just sort of seemed to invade the room. And so that kind of makes sense of that to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, Oh, okay. So he was in fact screwed up, you know, in that particular way. Um, and in order to do this, the, the, the tor- you know, in order to generate the power, the energy for this, the, the tortures just got worse and worse and worse for these poor guys. You know, and and again, I don't want to go into all, everything that he did. He kept meticulous records of everything. I mean, if people have that kind of prurient interest, which they do, obviously, um, they can they can look up the book that the one true crime book that was written about him. Um, which brings me to one of the other things that this contact told me was um, apparently um, the evidence. Locker, all of the evidence that they collected for Berdella. There is a lot of evidence that that evidence, you know, his diaries and the ropes that he used to bind his victims and, you know, all that kind of stuff, like the shirts that his victims were wearing when they died, you know, and things like that. Those were all pieces of evidence. And that, in his evidence, has been very improperly handled. And somehow, for some reason, it has gotten out onto the black market, and there's this huge market um, in selling um, items that are connected to his to his crimes. You know, like you know, so 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 many you know so, so many bitcoins for you know the this the, the for for the ropes that that tied up Rob you know Sheldon. You know, I mean, it's just it's yeah. grotesque.
1: Yeah, it's, it's really morbid.
2: And in fact, uh, there have been a number of, uh, there is at least one or two civil lawsuits that are pending that have been ongoing against uh, the, I think it, it it's the prosecuting attorney that re- for some reason released all this stuff to various people. Um, and there are lawsuits about trying to against him and against some of the companies, some of the sort of shadow companies Mm -hmm. that are selling this stuff by some of the family, families of the victims, you know, because it's disgusting. Yeah. Um,
3: Well, and if he believed that objects contained dark spiritual power, uh, that's kind of wild that his objects would then go off into some kind of illicit trade, perhaps being purchased by people who believed in the same kind of thing. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Well, that's kind of, you know, or people who, yeah, I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. I mean, I don't, I'm not entirely sure why you would want a bloody t-shirt from a murder victim.
1: There's such a morbid fascination. Yeah. With like serial when you know, killer don't merchandise. that?
2: I mean, oh my God.
1: Yeah. How would they, how would they have gotten that? Because when did that stuff be like put into evidence?
2: Well, that's what I mean, that his evidence locker has been raided, essentially. And according to uh, uh, both the detective and to the source, um, it, it was this stuff was released at some point to the, you know, to the prosecuting attorney. And this the prosecuting attorney then released it to various individuals who claimed that they were members of Bob's family but were not because Bob's family wasn't very big you know and so they were just saying they were just taking this stuff so that they could resell it
3: what other kind of objects were in that introspection room
2: um based on i mean the 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 detective didn't go into great detail about it um he, he said that there were there were various of of Berdella's favorite artifacts from different places. I mean, what I can tell you is that um, Berdella had excellent um, well, you know, I mentioned he had like at the yeah. time when they assessed his collection, it was like the fifth largest and, uh, collection of antiquities that had been assembled in North America at that time.
3: Wow. So
2: he had he had he had excellent connections uh, throughout Indonesia and, and par- other parts of Asia and Africa and South America. And I know from, from my own um, working with the material at his shop, yeah. that a lot of the stuff that he had had to have come through the black market. Mm-hmm. It had to have been stolen, um, right. you know, cultural yes. artifacts and stuff. There, there were, there were um, I, I re- I'll i never forget. There was this magnificent um, Kala chakra statue that he had There, that was still you know i don't know how much you know about these objects but when they're consecrated they are fitted they are there's there's a sacred scroll that is inserted in the base mm-hmm. and sometimes another one that's inserted like maybe at the area of the crown chakra and wherever you know whatever the whoever the deity on top is and um and then it's sealed and that's what's Consecrates that object essentially, um, you know, it's sort of understood to be sort of a living being in a way. Well, he had objects that had never been unconsecrated. You're supposed to remove that stuff. Wow! So it's like that stuff would be still spiritually active in a lot of ways. In fact, I have in my possession um, a a human bone mala that I saved from his store because I recognized it. And those are very unique items. Those are items that are specific to an individual or to a particular say lineage because um they are made of they the beads are made are punched from the skulls of 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 monks who have been in a lineage and and you know, their, their bodies have probably can, been committed to a sky burial and then they'll, they'll take the skulls and they'll make beads with them. And then it, you know, and, and, a, and you have 108 beads in a mala. So that, it, you know, it may be six or seven people's skulls that are used to create one of these malas. And so if there's a whole one, I mean, this is, this is something that's given from like, a, you know, a disciple to, I mean, a teacher to a disciple. It isn't something that you would sell. You would mm-hmm. never sell that. But he somehow got a hold of one and had it for sale. And I saw it. I just got it. It was like, because I knew it was like this. First of all, you're not supposed to sell human bone like that. Yeah. You know, that's actually illegal to do. I mean, he had the papers of providence and stuff, but it's, you're still not supposed to do it. And so I just took it. I still have it. I haven't figured out exactly what to do with it. I, I restrung it because it needed to be restrung so that the beads could be preserved Um, but I'm, I'm thinking about taking it to a Tibetan center up here, not too far from where I live and explaining, I don't know if I'll explain exactly where it came from. You know what I mean? You know, but, uh,
3: yeah, it's good that it got in the hands of someone who has respect, you know, at least then
2: it it wasn't just picked up to be, you know, worn because most people that would buy it, they just wear it as a necklace. It's like, this is not a necklace. It's it's a holy object, you know. Uh, but anyway, so I would imagine that he had things like that, you know, probably his favorite things like that up up there in his room. And and, and he and he did he did um, collect objects that were known to have like dark powers. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, he didn't sell many of those in the shop. But I did know that. He, I mean, I bet it was at his house a couple times in the in the lower floors. So I do I, I know that he had some of this stuff. Um, let's see here. Um, okay, I, I, so I talked about that. Oh, the other thing is that apparently, and I and this was difficult to understand exactly in the in the in the tape. But the detective talked about when they were when they went down into the basement which is where the dismembering of the bodies occurred. It was right below where the torture room was. There was like a, you know, there was like Berdella's bedroom, like, and then on the first floor, I think it's, yeah. And then there was, uh, then there was like a, a room that was adjacent to that, that was sort of the torture room where that stuff happened. And then right below it was a place in the basement, where um, he you know, dismembered the body so that he could put them in garbage sacks and send them out to the landfill. But apparently there was this big timber. Uh, you know, it was a beam that held mm-hmm. up, you know, a principal beam that held up the part of the, uh, of the house at that point. Mm-hmm. And it was right underneath that torture chamber. Well, apparently he had painted some kind of signs or sigils right there. Mm-hmm. And it was clear that the detective didn't know exactly what they were because he couldn't name them. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I don't know what they were, but he he did indicate there were signs of some type.
1: Are there any pictures that were taken by the police or anything? There might
2: have been, but I don't yeah. know where they are. You know, huh. and, 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 and given the scattering of the evidence, who the hell knows?
1: Yeah, it would be interesting to see that because maybe, I mean, I'm sure that some people amongst our crowd could probably find out what those probably know what those are yeah i mean i
2: probably recognize them if i saw them if i knew what they were but you know i there's there's no way there's no way for me to do that
1: had you known him to draw anything like that when you no
2: no this was not something i knew about him in fact i didn't think i mean i knew that he probably knew some things because he read that kind of stuff you know right but you know, I I did not know that he practiced anything because, yeah. you know, I, you know, he just, he even denied stuff like that. He could yeah. poo-poo it, you know, in public.
1: Do you think the reason that that stuff got raided and why it's lost is because he went to prison and he's dead now and nobody really, like justice was served. So nobody really well sort of. as much.
2: Uh, during the interview, um, somebody just point blank asked the detective why is it that hardly anybody knows about Berdella when everybody knows about Dahmer and John Wayne Gacy and, you know, a a bunch of other, you know, killers. Why is it that, that Berdella's case just got buried? And, um, and what's interesting is that the detective kind of hedges a little bit at this. And then in a very low voice, which you have to listen to very closely, he basically said that it had to do with, political realities that were going on in Kansas city at the time. Mm. That's all we would say about it. <laughs> and it was like, okay, then, <laughs> you know, um, uh,
1: what does good. that
2: mean? It's yeah. like, I mean, political realities don't keep things out of the papers, not usually. So there had to be something else going on there. I don't know though. I mean, it's, a, you know, it it, it just opens the door of speculation immediately. Now what is interesting is that, according to the detective, when he was interviewed, uh, Bob made mention several times of that he was a member of a special group, a special, unique group that if he and that was the reason why he had kept such meticulous torture and murder logs, because those logs, if he ever got arrested, those logs would provide information for members of this group that would be interested in murder. Now, I have no idea if Bordella was BSing <laughs> the detectives or not. There was some evidence occasionally that he did, you know, just sort of flipping his, you know, you want to hear this anyway. Uh, the The detective, the de- you know, there were rumors that he was connected to people. Uh, the detective said that that there wasn't, he he disputed the idea that there was any physical evidence that anybody else was involved in the actual torture and killing of these men. I have heard from other sources differently. So I think that it's an open question at the moment. You know, I, I mean, I do think that the later victims in particular, probably Berdella did himself because he became more and more selfish and insular about this process. But I think in the beginning, um, it is possible that, that there may have been some other people involved. Um, and that's just what I've heard from other sources that are as good as this detective. So, you know, whatever, you know, I don't know what that means though.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I, um,
3: well in that uh, the illicit antiquities trade, you know, is goes up to uh pretty, pretty wealthy and powerful people. So Something like that could really put him, you know, close to some circles of people who were searching for, you know, ancient objects with power.
2: Oh yeah. Well, and apparently, I did find out something about a little bit about where he got at least some of his drugs. Um, some of the drugs that he that he used to subdue these guys, he used um, ace, he used ketamine, and he used a, a number of other chemicals. And some of these drugs he got from a vet. In the West Bottoms, because he had Chow dogs, and he and uh, he and he traded some of these antiquities for mm. these drugs, and then he would use some of those drugs on the victims, on the guys. Now, I also heard from a very good source that he also got uh, other pharmaceuticals, such as Thorzine, which you cannot get under those conditions, and you could only get um, through some kind of an illicit trade. That's, but you know. Ketamine was probably the easiest, cheapest thing to get, especially if you are getting it for a discount because you've handed the vet a bunch of antiquities. You know what I mean? So, you know. Uh, but anyway, they know that he got at least some of his drugs from this from this vet. Um, the vet's name has never um, i've the in, the individual is not in Kansas City anymore and was not charged with anything. So, uh, um, my contact did not know what that person's name was. Um, the, one of the things that was interesting about the detective is that he went into some detail about how um, they were going to try to psych Bob out. They figured out, you know, Bob, Bob knew the police. He'd had a long relationship with them. Uh, you know, not a good one, but a long relationship with them off and on. Didn't like them at all. And so um, when they came across, you know, all the evidence that they found, they called Quantico, you know, called the FBI to get some advice to see whether he or not they could kind of psych him into uh, confessing or giving more information or, you know, whatever they were going to do. And this was right after, you know, not long after they'd arrested him, maybe three or four days after they'd arrested him and had started going through the house. You know, digging up the backyard and finding the evidence of, you know, multiple victims and that kind of thing. And um, so the 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 detective was he was he was very gleeful in talking about how um Berdella apparently considered him, Detective Hearn, to be sort of his arch enemy. And so one of the things that you know the Quantico advised them to do was to do various things to sort of build him up, you know, to make him think that. Um, that the that the people in the Kansas City Police Department regarded him as an important person, and then at at some point, um, it, I, and I can't recall now. I think it was it was in in an interview uh, that Berdella had made the comment that he felt that he had amassed enough black power or enough dark power that the only thing that he feared was. Uh, As he put it, according to the detective, this is what Berdella said. I don't know if Berdella actually said this or not, or whether this was the detective reading into what he said, but that Berdella said that that the only thing he feared was a powerful white Wiccan priest. Of course, in my mind, I'm going white Wiccan. Um, Wiccans are only white magic anyway, so that's confusing to me. But (laughs) are we talking, this is the ethnic identification. I don't know. But anyway, um, this is the way I'm thinking when I'm listening to this guy. But anyway, so they did this whole thing where, where according to the detective, they contacted um, a high priest and high priestess of, uh, as he put it, a very important coven in the Kansas city area. I mean, I was very familiar with the covens in the Kansas city. Right at the time, and, I, and I'm like, I'm racking my brain, like, what what important covenant are we talking about here? You yeah, know, who, who is and, this? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to think of this, and apparently, according to this detective, what they did was they 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 ha- they asked this powerful priestess or pre, you know, this couple to to, to cast a ring. That they, would, that they would use sort of surreptitiously and pull out at a certain moment in the interview oh. in order to psych Bob out. Well, here's the deal. After I racked my brain over that, I realized that I, th- I think I knew who these people were. And I think that because there was only one couple in the Kansas City area at the time that were touting themselves as having that kind of authority and power, but also were jewelers and had the ability to just instantly cast something like that. And it probably wasn't a ring that was actually made for the occasion. That would take too long. It was just probably one of their inventory rings, you know, they added something to it or whatever. The reason why, because what happened was their ruse failed. Um, and, and, and uh, Detective Hearn talks about this in order to talk about how cagey Burdella was, um, you know, they, 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 they tried to build Burdella up and up. And then at this one crucial moment, you know, he reaches into his pocket and he puts this you know ring on like he's the Wiccan priestess, right. Or priest. And, and then like pulls it out and, and lets Bob see it. And as soon as Bob sees it, apparently, He said his whole affect went flat. Um, he quit talking and he said, and he said the words that that every detective dreads to hear. I want to see my lawyer. Oh man. (laughs) And and when I when I heard that, I thought to myself, you know why he did that? It wasn't because it was a ring of a white Wiccan priest priest. It was because he recognized the style of the ring. He knew who made it because he was business associates mm-hmm. with them, too. Mm. Okay. And so he knew who made it. So he was like, screw this. I'm not going to talk.
1: Yeah. He called, <laughs> yeah, he, <you> know? <laughs> he, he called the ruse. It seems, like, um, he had a bit of, it seems like he had a little bit.
2: of He wasn't an idiot. You know,
1: it seems like he had a little bit. He had a little bit of magical thinking and they played on that. And then the second thing is, is that you talk about how they were building him up. That was a very similar way that how they, how actually the police caught BTK. I mean, they, you right. know, they, a lot of these guys are narcissists Oh yeah, and they really just, um, they have this inflated sense of self-importance and police can really play on that to make them basically, you know, mess up.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently.
1: These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now
2: at hero.co.
1: But it sounds like they sounds like he kind of called their bluff on that.
2: He did. He called the bluff and I mean, and I'm not saying he what he wasn't a narcissist. He was, absolutely. And right. and a sexual sadist of the worst variety. But but no, he he he, he called him on it. And what was interesting was that, um, let's see here. Um, one of the things that came up after that in the interview was that um, uh, one of the questions was, was, was well, you know, is, was, what was Buck Berdell's diagnosis? You know, because they did have psychologists come in and try to diagnose him and talk to him and stuff like this. And what is interesting is that um, several psychologists who do this regularly with these kinds of guys said that um, of all the people that they talked to, he was one that they could not diagnose. His pathology could not be classified. Um, in fact, the clinician who diagnosed John Wayne Gacy and examined Burdella said that Burdella was so unique in his pathology that he didn't think he could adequately describe or diagnose his condition. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's like, wow.
3: That kind of lends to some of the ideas you talk about too, where there's a where you think there may be a spiritual dimension to this. So there's something that can't be easily diagnosed by psychiatrists and psychologists because it's something else entirely.
2: Yeah, well, I yeah, I think that I mean when I when I think back to the experience that I had and what I encountered, um, I've never encountered anything before before or since, and I hope never to again. It was, it was one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. And I'm just really grateful that I was able to shut it down. I mean, it was almost, it was, it was almost Lovecraftian, seriously in terms of the kind of energy and darkness that it had. It was like, it was completely, it was completely alien. To anything that I was familiar with, and it was, um, you know, it was it was a complete and utter aware predator. And that's about the only way I can describe it. Um, and uh, and the worst and the worst part about it was that it, and, and I and, and I as I mentioned in the first interview, you know, I this is reflected somewhat in the story that I wrote, you know, about. some of these elements of it. um, I lived for many years with this fear that it had seen me, you know, like I had seen it and it saw me and it saw that I saw it, you know? And and so did that mean that it could come and get me? Now I don't think it can actually, because I do think that there are kind of spiritual rules in the universe that sort of prevent that sort of thing. But, you know, just the thought of that for years haunted me you know, um, because it was like, I was just, it just added this extra sense of paranoia to everything, you know? Uh,
3: yeah. I could see how that would happen.
1: Right. I mean, you, you wrote that, you wrote that short story about, about that. Yeah. The very concept.
2: Yeah. And uh it's, you know, that, and that short story, I, I wrote it, That's not in order for it to make sense, because I don't, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but I mean, in in a normal, rational way, but in order to express some of the emotional impact of it, you know, um, the kind of, uh, just the kind of things that it brings up emotionally and viscerally. in in me when I, when I've thought about it in the past. So it was just sort of, you know, sort of a a catharsis and just sort of barfing it out in some form on the written page. You know, Um, I don't even know that it's a good story. I have no idea. It's like, you know, nothing that I'm talking about tonight is a good story. (laughs) (laughs) This is not a good story.
3: (laughs) But yeah, that could be helpful to just process it in that way. At least.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically this individual is still doing their research and, um, you know, there are still some loose ends, you know, things that they are hunting down to try to figure out, you know, there's always loose ends and stuff like this. Um, because there are a lot of unanswered questions about, you know, what Bob's larger connections were. And I don't know that we'll ever know exactly the answer to those questions, but I wanted to kind of share this update of information with you guys, because I I think it, I think it's interesting.
3: Yeah, absolutely. That was, that was fascinating. And just that idea that like these, some of these, you know, instincts you had, and also because of, like you said, some street smarts, but to have that stuff corroborated and, Um, backed up by other people's research that's that's got to be really really cool well
2: and and also you know i mean i know that some people don't like this i don't mind it so much as a historian as someone who's a historian i don't mind if i'm corrected Mm -hmm. you know if if uh if I find out that my memory is faulty or because all of our memories are faulty, you know, when I think of the Berdella in my life, I I honestly think of Berdella in a very emotional way, you know, because because these these were events that I was attached to that, you know, I mean, I'm not a victim like his victims were, but, um, you know, all of us that were associated with him, were affected by and tainted in certain ways by that, by that um, action, by those things that he did. And I, I talked to the contact about that because, you know, this individual has become so embroiled in this information, gathering this information and, and some of the information, of course, is involved with conspiracy? No, not like high-level conspiracy theories, but the conspiracies—the conspiracies that are kept and maintained by a corrupt police department. Yeah. you know, uh, the 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 conspiracies that are attendant to you know drug and and, and sex trafficking of people, um, and that still go on. You know, and as a, when you do that kind of work, you tend to see things in a possibly conspiratorial light. You know, you you see the you see the the external part of something, but you also know that there's always a deeper, more internal part of it. And so, part of my conversation with this person was was convincing them, you know, clarifying some things for them, but also convincing them that I was not part of this conspiracy.
3: Mm, yeah, yeah.
2: You know, because I'm not, and.
3: It's easy to get things convoluted. Once you make connections between people, a lot of assumptions happen when people are into that conspiratorial thinking.
2: Right. And well, and, and you know, this person doesn't know me. All they know is that all of a sudden they found out that this, there's this individual who knew Berdella and is talking on the, on a podcast about it, you know? And so um, they finally were able to locate my name in a couple of the newspaper articles that were published at the time. And I was able to say, yeah, that was me. That was me. No, no, I was not this person. I was this person, (laughs) that sort of thing. Um, But, you know, so, you know, we corrected each other's information, you know, checked each other on that. But I, you know, to me, I just, I don't mind being wrong as long as, as it, as, the information that is brought in is brought in in such a way that, that it helps me to understand sort of the larger picture that even yeah. I'm a part of, you know what I mean? I, I it, it's fine.
3: Yeah. For anyone who wants to learn and grow, I mean, that's going to be, that's going to be a part of it.
2: Right.
1: Uh, found you through this podcast.
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: So, um, I I guess that maybe there's not a lot of material that's, that's on him.
2: I mean, there and and that and that is interesting. You know, I mean, that's part of it. You know, why that individual asked that question of that detective. You know, if you go back and you look at other serial killers, you know, they have documentaries and 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 you know multiple books and and all kinds of stuff. But Bradella just doesn't. I mean, the only people that have less are people that we know less about. You know, like people like Isaac Keys and stuff like that. You know, where. Um, because he took most of the information about most of his murders to his grave. You know, we don't really know that much about what he did because that was sort of his power secret, you know, keeping everything, you know, hidden like that, you know, spitefully essentially from, from authorities or from the victim's families. Um, But anyway, so that's all of the updates that I have for you on that.
1: Yeah, I'm 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 very curious too about the about the uh, link to the Franklin scandal and all oh, that. Yeah. That's that's another aspect of this that is really kind of piqued my interest when you first talked about it. And it's interesting too that um, this person was able to provide you with a little bit more of a clarity on that and that there was there might have been some things going on.
2: All right. Um, well, and they they confirmed that that there are suspicions among Franklin scandal investigators about things like that.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: So it's so it's not just you know me. And what was weird to me is that what what clicked in my head, and I can't even remember now what it was. But what clicked in my head was I was reading Nick Bryant's book, and Nick Bryant mentions. Just like in a couple of paragraphs in like the middle of the book, just sort of as an aside, he mentions some things about Kansas City and some other stuff. And all of a sudden, something just went boom. And it was like, oh. (laughs) And I don't even, I do that a lot, though, where I make these sort of meta connections that are usually right. I mean, they may need to be filled out Mm -hmm. a little bit in terms of detail. But they are usually, you know, kind of broadly correct in terms of, and, and it's not conspiratorial thinking. It's seeing patterns, um, seeing, uh, it's part of, I guess, what made me a good book buyer when I was, a, you know, I've always been a, in retail. I've always been a really good buyer, whether it was books or when I purchased for, for, for um, Whole Foods, you know, I was always a good buyer because I was able to just sort of see patterns and just kind of mm-hmm. go with those mm-hmm. and you know, see patterns in the inventory and the point-of-sale system. And I, it was just all intuitive. you know. So some people can do that, I guess. I, I don't think of it as psychic at all. I think it is, is, is just the ability to kind of switch between detail and the larger view, going back yeah. and forth like that, because I don't know that everybody can do that.
3: Micro Micromacrocosm. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see
1: how this is fleshed out, I guess, as, as, as yeah. time moves along. As time
2: goes, as time yeah. goes by, yeah. You know, maybe but, after she hears this, maybe after they hear this, um, they'll recontact me and say, hey, I've got more mm-hmm. info. Who
3: knows? Yeah, let's hope we can continue this uh, this investigation with Absolutely. you. Not too many people know someone who knew a serial killer.
1: Yeah. And when you first contacted me about coming on about this, I was like immediately intrigued. I was like, Oh yeah, we definitely got to talk about this. Um, for, for sure. And that episode, which, uh, by the way, for anybody that's listening that you can go back, you can listen to that episode three sixty two. I was definitely picking your brain a little bit about that. Um, and then some of the magical aspects of it too, were, were just as equally fascinating. Um, before we let you go, Professor Wham, is there anything that you're you're working on now? like, it's, it's like the, in the it's been six months, so anything that has been like grabbing your interest lately, or special projects?
2: Yeah, well, what I've been working on lately, you know, because as you know, I I wrote this book, um, um, "Mysterious Beauty: Living with the Paranormal in the Hudson Valley," and one of the things I mentioned in that book is a haunted gym. And I actually and I provide like a a photo that the, that the that the guy who runs the gym took of a face that appeared um, in in the window at one point. Um and I talk about it a little bit. Well, things have continued there. Um, and so, um based on some of the footage, the CCTV footage, which is very good, some of it is very good. And some of it includes both, um, video and audio. Um, I've been able to finally get, get the the owner (laughs) organized enough. He's a kind of scattered guy, um, got him organized enough to send me chunks of his footage so that I can send them to a guy that I know who does video and audio processing, um, for one of the major networks in New Jersey. Um, and, uh, I mean, actually a mainstream network for New Jersey, but he has this interest. He's, he's one of the Pine Bush archi- archivists. Um, and, and I actually worked with him some on the Pine Bush chapter, uh, Pine Bush information in the book as well. But he's able, he has uh, been started to process some of the footage and some of it is really amazing. It's like some of the best poltergeist stuff I've ever seen and heard. I mean cool. seriously. I mean, there's there's one there's one piece of footage, CCTV footage, of apparently what appears to be a shadow person in broad daylight, like at one thirty in the afternoon, and and the backdrop to this to this image occur appearing is extraordinary because the 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 you know when when the owner of the gym has all of his cameras on, he has them all keyed to his phone so that when the motion detector goes off, his phone notifies him. So he can actually watch in real time if he's there with his phone, whatever is being picked up. Oftentimes this happens at night and he's asleep, you see. So he he doesn't see it. But because he happened to be in the gym at the time, and in fact, he was downstairs right at the bottom of the stairs where this was happening it was happening up the stairs and just down a little ways and and he was working and all of a sudden he got this ping on his phone and he picks up the phone and he what and he watches in 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 real time the shadow image appear on on is picked up by the by the camera and you can see very clearly an image that sort of it sort of vaguely looks human and it peers in the room, and then kind of leans over,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and 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 it's there, and it's very clear. And so I, and, and it's you know it's broad daylight, so there's no lighting issues, you Weird. know. So um, he immediately like texted me and went, "Oh my god, oh my, this <laughs> like, like two months ago?" He's like, "Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god!" And so. Um, We sent this to this guy to process, and he said that he saw it, and the hair on the back of his head stood up. He was like, "Oh my god!" You know. So I told him just just process it. You know, make sure that it's not anything else. You know, you know, and he's 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 found some hidden audio in a couple of the of the videos that you know by your naked ear, just your regular ear, you can't hear anything, but if you if you if you fine-tune the audio there's something definitely there like voices like mm. EVP stuff like just right underneath everything so I'm really excited about it it's just totally cool and uh, we're thinking about putting together an investigation team going there nice. excellent
3: well let us know how that goes and if yeah if any of that uh, the evidence and stuff gets uh, if you all want to release that I'd love to see or hear some of that
2: yeah well what I will t- what, what I was thinking about talking to the guy who's doing the processing about, because he has all the equipment, you know, he has all the knowledge to do this. It's like, you know, why don't we make like a tiny documentary, mm-hmm. you know, like 20 minute, 20 minute documentary, just sort of giving the history of this, of this building. And so the thing is, is that we don't want, we, we don't want the building or the, <laughs> or the owner to become well-known, you know, right. um, because this is his place of business and 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 the building is is a is a landmark building in the in the, the, the town the hamlet that it's in or the village that it's in here in New York, and you don't want it to become it's got lots of businesses in it. you don't want it to become like this weird paranormal tourist thing yeah. you know where people annoy other people, and he's afraid he'd lose customers. Right, because he has already lost some people occasionally when things happen and scare them. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's like we don't want to talk about it and scare people even more. Even
3: before they come, yeah.
2: Right. I mean, there's one trainer who 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 still works there who I actually train with sometimes, and and she she will not be in the building by herself. I mean, she won't she won't do stuff in there.
3: Oh, it's that bad. Yeah.
2: Stuff is. Stuff is she's been goosed by invisible things, oh, no. <laughs> you know. So it's like it, whatever's there is mischievous, you know. It's sort of a you know, it's like a, I, I, I refer to them as the bunch of buttholes, you know. It's sort of they're sort of they're not dangerous or anything, uh, but you know, if you're not used to that, it could freaks you out, you know. I mean, I'll be the first to say that I had I've had two experiences that are myself. And one made me just walk out. I just was like, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm too early for me for this, you know? So, um, I, there were, there were, I was upstairs in the box. I know you'll want to know what it was. I was upstairs. This is when I was boxing on a regular basis and I had to be up there by like six 45 in the morning. And so I was up there getting waiting for my trainer who was a little bit late. And, uh, uh, the, they had redone the stereo up there and they had detached all of the speakers because the, the owner was getting a new, um, you know, stereo system up there. So there were just like these naked speakers that were laying mm-hmm. there. They weren't hooked up to anything. They were just there. Yeah. And so I sat down, I sat down and uh, I, I, I had, I just, I just like put my, I just put my wraps on the box and I sat down and I, and I just, I thought this, I did not say this. I thought, I wonder if anything's happened here lately. It just—it was just like a passing <laughs> thought. It was just like a passing thought through my head. And as soon as I thought that, two voices came out of the speaker. Oh, I swear shit. to God. And, and one was a woman's voice, kind of faint, like if it was from far away. And I didn't understand what it was saying. And the other one was a male voice. And it sounded like it said, oh, we're here or something like that. And I just went. I'm going downstairs yeah. now. I'm out. I'm out. This is too early. I haven't had enough coffee. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and that's right in an area where they have all kinds of things that have happened. And he's taken a number of interesting pictures, and CCTV footage, just right in that area. So it's like, okay. You know, I mean, I do this stuff. And when you're actually confronted with it, you know, you're just like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> you know, I don't need to deal with this right <laughs> now.
1: <laughs> right. Well, Professor Wham, I know that you've got to get going. Uh, please tell everybody where they can find you and find your, uh, your, your books, your other writings and, and all that.
2: Okay. Well, I do have a website. It's Professor Wham. That's W-H-A-M, Professor Wham.com. Um and I do have a blog blog page there, which I haven't added to for a while, but it's there. And and the books that I have available are advertised there. There's a little bit about me there. And um, and then if if people want to email me, they can email me at professor wham one, the numeral, numeral one, professor wham one at gmail.com. All and that's right. also listed on the website.
3: Perfect. Yeah. We we look forward to next time and and uh, hopefully getting some, some
1: more updates. All right. Well, yeah. uh, stay on the line with us. We're going to close this section out, and guys, we'll be back out to uh, talk a little more and close out the show on Conspira Normal. Welcome back, everybody. That was a very interesting... Conversation with Professor Wham. We uh, went ahead and talked a little bit more about Robert Burdella and some of the updates there. And uh, that that episode that we did with her back in April was really, it's actually really quite popular. I've had a lot of people comment on that.
3: I mean, some of the most fascinating true crime stuff I've ever heard because it has that spiritual and supernatural element to it. Yes. And the... Possible ties to larger conspiracies.
1: Yeah. Um, It's
3: really weird. Really cool.
1: Yeah, it was definitely interesting to pick somebody's brain that encountered and knew a serial killer. Yeah. And how they dealt with that person, what that person was like, and... Yeah, you because know, when you know somebody day to day and you find out they're a serial killer, I'm sure that that's probably a pretty big shock to the system. Yeah, I yeah, can, I can, you know, I can kind of only imagine what that would be like. I think that was one I did solo, but of course you edited it, so you heard it. So
3: well, she did talk about his uh, how he had some form of what would seem like a spiritual practice yeah. in this. Uh, would she call it the introspection room yeah that he had above his house i guess and he had of course the satanic mass lp by anton mavet uh-huh,
1: uh-huh. which that's not necessarily that weird really i mean right sure there's other people that would be interested in that stuff and there's probably a lot of people that actually probably have that that are not serial killers so when it like me <laughs> i don't know how much i would put you know stock of weirdness on that one but um, it definitely just kind of adds to the general, um, I guess, milieu of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, something that I'm interested in. I mean, I'm interested in the whole serial killer stuff. It's kind of a morbid fascination with me, too. Um, but, you know, like I watch a lot of documentaries about this kind of, kind of stuff. And um, it's not something that you really see too much in the news anymore. It seems like it was something that was really. Rather like the time of the seventies or eighties, even extending into the nineties, and really after kind of like Jeffrey Dahmer, that's like the biggest one that I probably remember. And
3: there are all the questions. I know we've talked a lot about with uh, Tom and Jenny about that. Why, why there doesn't seem to be as many serial killers anymore? Whether it's because um, forensics makes it really hard to get away with the stuff, um, or on the other side of things really speculative, you know, you start getting into some of like the Dave McGowan type of stuff. And the idea is that maybe this was a part of something bigger. And, you know, there's kind of hints of that uh, around this case. So
1: it's pretty weird. Like an operation Phoenix type of or Phoenix program type of thing is what McGowan was talking about and program to kill. Yeah. I was, that's, I mean, you know, that's a possibility. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do, really, with the rise of the Internet. I think with some of the availability of, especially, let's just say it, just porn. I think that some of these, that that provides an outlet for somebody that has, like, rather, you know, different kind of, like, sexual interests, you know. And not to say that there's, like, serial killers don't exist. I'm sure they do. And I'd be interested to see in other societies what the prevalence of that really is cuz we kind of a lot of the serial killer material is really, you know, focused on either the English speaking world, which you know, the UK and the US, and sometimes Australia and those types yeah. of places
3: or Europe in general.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I would be curious to see what that's like in like a non-western context. Um I think that that would be kind of interesting. But uh we're going to close out the show with uh thought that this was an interesting thing um of course this is going to be posted much later but uh there was an event <laughs> in dallas today that i thought was interesting um uh, apparently the latest thing in QAnon. well it's not really the latest thing but apparently jfk jr um They've been expecting him to show back up yeah. any time now. Raised from the dead. Of course, JFK Jr. died in a plane crash. That's like, what they uh, want you to think. That's what they want you to think. Back in 1999. So it's been a good 22 years. But um, today, as we're recording this on November 2nd, 2021, the a lot of people gathered, a ton of people actually kind of gathered, in Dealey Plaza in uh dallas because they thought that not only jfk jfk jr was coming back but apparently jfk senior was coming back from the dead or he's in hiding or something and the jackie, hidden the mom and jackie yeah so somebody pointed out that this was like the father son and the holy mother returning yeah so it's got like a really big kind of like christian kind of element to it Ugh. And I thought I'd read just a little bit from this article uh, just to see what, uh, just kind of giving you an idea of just how weird this is. Is that a
3: Vice article, Adam?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, what else would you, what else would it be? So some QAnon followers were so eager to secure their place for the turn of JFK that on Monday night, hundreds of them gathered in Dealey Plaza where Kennedy was shot in 1963, waiting for the latest QAnon conspiracy theory to come true. Uh apparently this comes from a user a YouTuber called Whiplash347 that has 250,000 followers. Expert, sounds like an expert. We've got like what like you know maybe 2,000 subscribers something like that. So apparently we got to step up our game. So apparently this comes from the whole idea that of course this has to do with Trump. And they say that Trump is going to be reinstated as the 18th president of the United States. Because in case you didn't know, um, and this is kind of this combination of the sovereign citizen material with QAnon, in case you didn't know, since 1871, we have been a corporation, uh, not a country. So Trump is going to come and restore the country. This was supposed to actually have happened on March the 4th of this year, which was the original inauguration date before it was changed, January 20th, because, of course... The United States is a corporation. And Trump is going to be actually the actual 18th president in the United States. So, any president since Ulysses S. Grant has actually not been an actual real president of the United States. Right. And that actually includes Trump himself. Whoa. So, wait. I guess this will actually be his first up, his first term as president. So, this is... Uh, um, what this article says. So this guy's name, um, some of the negative 48 channel that's got a hundred thousand subscribers says that Kennedy, but the bloodline of the Kennedy's is directly linked to Christ. Did you know that? And told his followers that on Tuesday, JFK senior Jackie and JFK junior will be introduced to the world. Then the JFK senior will travel around for seven days. Then will pass. That sounds really biblical. Uh, Before he dies, however, JFK Sr. will transfer power to Donald Trump and JFK Jr. will be Trump's vice president. And another part of the conspiracy claims that JFK's JFK's return will coincide with the reversion to the Julian calendar, which means the date will change immediately back to October 20th. So somehow the Julian calendar is important here. So you could just add all this in. You know. It's just another
3: right, n- another I, piece of infinite game and minutia for people I, I, to get involved. I'm not in. so
1: sure it would actually be October 20th because I think that um, if you're a student of the Russian Revolution, you know that. You have to look at those dates because, like, the dates in the Russian Revolution are actually the Julian calendar dates. Oh, okay. Which the Bolsheviks changed to in 1918, changed the Gregorian calendar. See, the communists like
3: the Gregorian calendar. That's why. That
1: must be it. That must be it. So the Julian calendar is the actual legitimate calendar. And, okay. Yeah. I I see. uh, Yeah, I see where it's going. Yeah, so the.
3: The uh, communist banksters, you know, back yeah, in the day that's probably it, that's it. You're right. Changed you're right. Changed it along with the uh, changing the United States to a corporation.
1: But see that was a hundred years ago that there was a two week discrepancy. So I think it would be even more of a discrepancy now. So it actually wouldn't be October twentieth. I think it's like more like a three week or four. Well
3: sounds like you got something to start a new YouTube channel I, about. Man,
1: I could. I could. I could just wear a mask and just do my own YouTube channel.
3: So yeah, obviously you know, we see this video here with uh, no motorcade coming through.
1: Yeah, um, I think there were more people at this than there were at the actual Kennedy assassination. <laughs> yeah, it looks like uh, it. if you look if you look at the footage, it looks like there were a lot of people that were there.
3: Well, I mean, yeah. what was it, what were they selling? Like, what, what was really the point of this? I mean, you got it's usually about some kind of commerce. I mean, why did everyone have to go there? Was it? This an elaborate I, a, conspiracy apparently, of, like a, apparently of a hot dog is, stand or yeah, something? I don't
1: know. I mean, I, uh, it seems very messianic to me. Like, it almost seems like oh, we're going to restore, you know, the, the, the true um, ruler of the country. I I don't know.
3: Yeah, I don't
1: know. I don't know. But, I mean, you know, you add in the Kennedy assassination stuff. And, I mean, really, if you want to look at it, the root of all this kind of conspiracy theory in the United States... Is really the Kennedy assassination? I mean, yeah, really, that's like the open wound that causes the rest of all of this. Yeah, if you really want to, if you really want to, you know, look at it that way. So, I found that pretty interesting as well. That uh, that's a that that's a part of it. And um, they,
3: they never showed up, right?
1: No, nobody showed up. They,
3: they never do. Up.
1: So yet again, another failed prophecy. And but you can see how. Um, it's starting to kind of take on the form of like a religion, like a real religious type of, uh, element. Yeah. Going on well, it, it
3: always has been. I mean, we've talked about that. Yep. You know, they're getting their messages from their hidden master. Um, you know, there's a lot of parallels.
1: So, um, we just wanted to talk, I want to talk a little bit about some of the stuff we're going to be doing here. Um, feels great to be back great the other side back. of strange yeah. realities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We recorded last week uh, a short segment, uh, the the interview with Tobias Whalen and I had recorded actually before, but uh, it does feel good to be back and just be doing the show again, um, which uh, we're going to be pretty much, we're going to be winding down the year, but we've got um, some great guests coming on. We got Jack Brewer coming on next. Uh, Timothy Renner is going to be back to talk about a project he's doing. Uh, I've got Jose, um, Carrera and, uh, Wren are actually going to, we're, we're going to be doing a little round table with them at the end of this month. And of course we'll end up the year with Dr. Future. Um, I got to ask him, but I'm pretty sure he will do it. And, um, he will do it. You know, there's one thing that we're going to be doing here pretty soon. Um, we're going to be starting to do like an episode a month that is just myself and Zerfiel, and we've got some ideas, that kind of about what we're going to do.
3: We're wanting to really um, double down on the uh, conspiracy part of Conspira normal but in the cool, smart way that we do. Yeah. Uh, and we really want to trace Not
1: that JFK Jr. <laughs> is coming back. Yeah, and we're going to restore the Julian calendar because reasons
3: we really want to go back and uh, really explore the kind of genealogy and history of a lot of conspiracy theory and going back to the primary texts that have really influenced everything. Um, probably starting with some of the Illuminati exposes, like proofs of a conspiracy by John Robeson, HM, HM, HM. And um, from there, we'll probably go into some of the, uh, other cult oriented conspiracism against the french revolution bolsheviks and uh all that we just really want to explore this stuff and like give ourselves a reason to uh have to read some of this primary stuff and uh really get to the root of a lot of a lot of these rehashed conspiracy theories and try to see how far back a lot of them really go and get to uh thinking about conspiracy theories and other ways just give uh give our perspectives and try to find new ways of of looking at this stuff and understanding our current world and where these ideas came from
1: so we're going to be kind of doing like a mini podcast within a podcast basically that's kind of what we're going to be doing and we're going to be doing that um every single month so you guys are going to get one of one of those episodes every single month we really want to you know, start talking about this stuff and from a historical point of view too. So stay tuned for that. We'll probably be doing, um, that, uh, pretty soon in the next few weeks. So stay tuned for that. And of course that's going to be all through 2022 as well as what we plan to do. And of course, Patreon, uh, we are going to be getting back. Actually, we're going to be doing a Patreon here in just a little bit, uh, that goes, that's going to follow this episode. Um, and we're going to get back into that, and giving everybody kind of like a Patreon, whether that's myself and Surfiel are uh, with the guests, um, either one. So you guys are going to start getting that back every every single week. Yeah, um, and of course um, we are we are looking forward to. Uh, doing the monthly Strange Realities kind of meetups, um, speakers. We're going to be doing those every single month. And those are going to be on Zoom. Detail. We're kind of still hashing out the details on that and how we're going to do it and what night we're going to do it. So we will let you know. Of course, stay stay tuned and posted to this. So
3: You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash conspiranormal where you can join the International Association of Conspiranormalists for only $5 a month. You can get an extra episode every week uh, to complement the conspira normal weekly podcast. And for $10 and up, you get to join the Mystic Crew, which gets you a ticket into the monthly hangouts, like Adam described earlier. Uh, for $20 and up, you get a special mystical garment. And uh, we've got some leftover Strange Realities ones, too, so if you'd rather substitute uh, the normal conspira normal shirt with the alien with the fez on it for one of those we can do that uh celestial garment yes your celestial garment but you also get entrance into the ancient circle of strange realities at that twenty dollar most elect elite level all
1: right guys i think that's going to be it for this episode uh join us on the patreon side in a few days and we will be back uh, next week with jack brewer on Conspiracy
2: normal
0: Consider becoming a Patreon at www.patreon.com/conspiranormal, or leave a one-time donation at conspiranormal.com. And please check out our YouTube channel, Conspiranormal Podcast. At Parker, our purpose is simple: we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently